Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. So uh, I think that, I, th- I love when this happens when you talk, when people prophesy and there's a theme that's kind of congruent with what you've prepared. It uh, makes me feel good. It makes me feel like, yeah, I was listening to the Holy Spirit, you know? Isn't that good? I love it. I love that. So, so listen today, and listen today to hear the theme, Christ in you. Christ in you. That's the mystery kept hidden from the ages past. That's the mystery of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, so listen for that. He'll make you strong. He really will. So, uh, as Pastor said, we we talked about dividing up uh, these uh, portions of Scripture and how we were going to talk about it. And uh, the funny thing is, as we did that, actually a little bit before we did that, when it was decided that we were going to talk about 1 John, Kelly and I were actually talking to each other and we were like, man, we're both really looking forward to that bit about the Spirit, the water, and the blood. Like, can't wait to hear that. And... uh, it just kind of turns out that that's my day today. So I kind of got a little pressure on myself. I, I hope I want to hear this. So anyways, it's all good. But, but before we get into that, what we're going to look at today is 1 John uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. And uh, a little bit of recap. Uh, it bears repeating. We've said this before, that 1 John, the book, it's a book written for you, but it's not written to you. And uh, that really, really, really does bear repeating. And it's not to denigrate the book or anything in the Bible for that matter, but it's really to help maximize the fact that, maximize the for you part, the benefit part, is when you realize like the context, when you just, you know, there's footnotes in your Bible, when you read those kind of things and you kind of get stuck into who's this written for? Why was it written? Is there clues in the text? That actually helps uh, draw out the benefits. So the for you part, the power in it is actually a little bit more enhanced when you understand what that's all about. So we've also talked a little bit about the lens that you bring to the scriptures when you're reading. And uh, just as a recap, I think this kind of summarizes what we've been talking about. But if you're reading it with a performance lens, it will lead to a wrong reading of the Bible. It really will. And I understand that's a strong thing to say. There's a wrong way to read the Bible. That, That sounds pretty strong. Who are you to say that? Well, I think the Apostle Paul said that to Timothy too. He said, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. When you wrongly divide the word of truth, there is shame attached to it, and it's ugly. And and what that is, is it's not God saying, you know what, you read that wrong, you didn't get my heart, you know, like shame, shame, you don't know my name, that kind of thing. What it means is, uh, here's shame. Guilt, Guilt is what you did is bad. Shame is you're bad. So when you read the Bible and you read it through the wrong lens and what you're seeing when you read it is you're not measuring up. You need to do this to qualify. You need to do this to get there. That brings shame. That's shaming you the way that you're reading the scripture. So don't do that. Don't bring a performance lens. So, and what I mean by a performance lens is this. It means when you're looking in the Bible for ways to learn or to, to earn God's favor. When you're looking for tests to pass, when you're looking for things to do to to make you feel good like you've got it, you know, that's uh, by what you do, that's wrong. 
and it's really, really, really going to mess you up. And the good news is, is that reading the Bible the right way isn't hard. You don't need a PhD. You don't need to learn how to speak Greek and Hebrew. You don't need any of that stuff. You have an anointing. We talked about this in this book. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and he teaches you all things. He abides with you. He stays with you. Funny thing is, then John goes on to teach. He says, you don't need anybody to teach you. You've got an anointing, and then he teaches. But the awesome thing about that is a good teacher, a good teaching leads you to Jesus. So I've, I've heard Pastor Carl say this before. He, he said his job is to take your hand and place it in the hand of Jesus. And you can trust him. He'll take you there. We also talked about how uh, this book is written to give you assurance. It's written to help you to believe something, not to prove something, not to do something, but to believe something and to have assurance about that. And we saw that faith is actually a vital interpretive key to understanding what this book's all about. See, John really believes what he wrote. If you believe it, it'll make sense for you. And the, the good thing about this book, too, is it, it talks about some really weird things, like some, not weird, but ethereal kind of things, like these things, like, like let's say the anointing. We understand what that is, but what, what do you mean? I don't see it. I can't grab it. I can't touch it. Love, faith, all that kind of stuff. Like, what, what are you talking about? But as circular as John's writing is sometimes, he actually really does give you some solid practical handles. So we, we saw that last week. Pastor Cheryl talked about God's actionable love. And uh, quoting Carl Bart, he said, uh, Bart says, God's love, it's not an abstract definition that we can fill with whatever we want to say. God's love is God's definition, and only he can define it. And thankfully, he does. He doesn't just say love. So there's lots of things in the book that, that gives definition, that's kind of meaty. It gives you handles and hooks for what we're talking about. God's definition of love, 1 John 3, 16. It's, it's, this is how we know what love is. He gave his life for us, and we ought to give our lives for the brethren or for our brothers and sisters. Handles, hooks. And I think today when we talk about spirit, water, blood, which we'll actually get to kind of towards the end, um, those are handles. Those are uh, things that you can really grasp, you can see, and hopefully that'll make sense as we go along. But you might have also noticed that First John chapter 5, or just the whole book in general, it is kind of repetitive. So it does talk about some of the same stuff. So this week, I'm not going to go kind of verse by verse. I'm just going to grab some of the big themes out of it and work with that. And hopefully, it, I, think, well, I think it does jive with what was prophesied today. So it's all good. So if you want to get your Bibles out, if you want to have your, your electronic devices or whoever you read the word, uh, we'll go through it. And it might be helpful just to keep it open because we're going to jump in and out and from beginning to end and all that kind of stuff today. So, uh, But we're going to read it. I love the public reading of the scriptures. It's really good. So here it is. 1 John 5, 1 to 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it's the Spirit who testifies. We heard that today. The Spirit testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he's given about his Son. 
that's kind of cool too, just a little aside. Wednesday nights, we're doing This Is My Story. We're talking about, uh, you know, and the last one's this Wednesday, so come on out. But uh, this is my story. We're hearing about uh, how God's engaged other people's lives. God has a testimony. Do you think about that? God has a story. He has a testimony. Now, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they've not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son, listen to this, this is, this is powerful. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's the word. So, some of you might have noticed in your Bible, just a quick little disclaimer, footnotes, all those kind of things, they're really good. Some of you might have a little additional clause in verse 7 that says that there's three that testify in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Spirit. There's unanimous consensus from scholars of all types and backgrounds that that was probably added. Somebody, somebody got a little happy, a little carried away and said, John's not Trinitarian enough. I'm going to help him out. So there's some things like that in your Bibles. Just check the footnotes, just in case anybody right now is saying, hey, you forgot something. Didn't. I think somebody added something. But uh, let's go back to first one, verse 1 to start, and then we'll get really into this. So listen to this part. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Full stop. Period. Done. He could mic drop and walk off the stage right there. He really could. Now remember, he's writing. He wants to assure you. He wants to give you, he wants to help you have faith. He wants you to believe something. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I love these kind of verses that are simple. You know, it's, it's, it's easy. I'll, wait, somebody tell me, well, who's born of God? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. And you're kind of like, well, really? Is it that easy? Is it that simple? Well, yeah, it is. It actually is. You know, like pretty much every, like barring a few, pretty much every Christian denomination believes that. Believes that the way to a, a relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ and that your works, there's nothing you can do to make that happen. God did that of his own accord. And so there's nothing you can do to get yourself right with God. We are at a, at a different church last night, and much different than Impact Church, but you would still hear that message. You really would. So is it that easy? Well, yeah, it really is. But if I could be, uh, I was trying to think of a word other than the devil's advocate, because I don't want to, yeah. provocateur, I found. Provocateur. So here's one, though. Is it, as, is it really as easy as just saying that Jesus is the Christ? I mean, sometimes I've heard it said, you know, that you, you, you need to have a very particular faith confession. You need to understand exactly what Jesus did for you. Maybe, maybe you have to be able to confess that you're a, a dirty, rotten sinner. You need to be able to say one by one what all your sins are. There should probably be a couple tears somewhere along the line, right? Right? I mean, here's the confession. This is what you do. This is the prayer to pray without deviation. This is how you become a Christian, just like this. That's it. And I... I don't, I don't particularly agree with that. In fact, I would argue and say that since the Reformation, since the, the, the bringing back into the church of the knowledge that you're saved by grace through faith alone, there's actually been a, a historical inclination to accept people whose, let's say, sinful behavior doesn't merit salvation, but then at the same time keep people away from Jesus who don't yet have a particular f accurate faith confession. Does that make sense? Sometimes we're like, you know what? You don't believe the way that I believe. You didn't become a Christian the way I did. You didn't read the same tract. 
You didn't walk over the cross bridge on the back of the track that you got handed out. That kind of thing. You know what I mean? And so sometimes there's this propensity to say, you know what? Unless you believe exactly the way that I do, you can't be a Christian. But John actually says, no. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, that's it. Born of God. And this is actually kind of pertinent stuff. So it's actually worth mulling over in your own, in your own prayer time and thinking about. You know, we've heard it's time to get the job done. We're starting a new service. There's people out there who are going to come into this church. There's people who are going to come into your life who you're going to have to lead to Jesus. And you need to know how to do that. You need to be able to take their hand and place it in the hand of Jesus. And it's really that simple. You don't have to have to push and drive for the 16-point confession. It's easy. Take their hand and put it in the hand of Jesus. And he'll take it from there. He really, really will. So when you think about joining the family of God, how much information do you really need? Right? How much information do we require of people before we can get the job done and say, hey, you're in the family? You know, I can think of a whole bunch of different atonement theories, you know, uh, theories and explanations for exactly what it is that Jesus did on the cross. You know, there's, there's the penal substitution theory, there's the moral influence theory, there's Christus Victor, there's the scapegoat theory, there's substitution theory, there's all these kind of ways to try to describe what Jesus did. But how well do you need to know it? How well do you need to understand it? Jesus said this. He said he made it really, really easy. When, when it came to people following him, he just said this, come follow me. That was it. He made it easy. We've got this notion that we need to make it hard so people are committed. Well, no, once they get in, once Jesus takes, he lives in their hearts, he who began the good work in them, he will see it through to completion. Get them to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. Paul made it really easy, too. He said this about confession. He's like, if you confess Jesus is Lord, not if you confess like the Heidelberg Confession or if you can recite the Westminster Catechism or anything like that. He's just straight up, if you confess Jesus is Lord, you're good. John, he said it just a little bit differently. He said, whoever has the Son has life. He says, if you just believe that Jesus is the Christ, you are born of God. Now, what I'm saying is, is, is not the right doctrine. The understanding who Jesus is and what he did isn't important. Of course it is. Of course it is. But the, the truth, the person who is the truth, he is just that. He's a person. He said, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what we need to do is take people, connect them to the person of Jesus Christ, and in relationship with him, he will unpack, he will reveal, he will unveil himself to them. And coming to know who you are, coming to know, uh, you know what he's done for you, that's a process that's walked out in relationship with Jesus. So let's not make barriers, right, to, to people coming to Jesus. Let's just say, hey, you believe in Jesus, you have faith? Yeah, great. You're in. It's as easy as that. It's really not hard. He made it really, really easy. And the reason for that is this. Salvation actually rests in the person of Jesus, not the accuracy or even the quality of your faith. Right. I, ho I hope that's okay to say. Uh, but your faith doesn't make salvation happen. Just like your healing doesn't, you know, your faith doesn't make your healing happen. Now, hear me out for a second. Your healing's sealed. It's already sealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Now imagine there's four people here today who say, I want to believe in Jesus. Jesus isn't going to pop down out of heaven four times, die on the cross, get raised from the dead, and go back to heaven four times. No, he already did that once. Your faith doesn't make that happen, but it, what it does is it makes you a full-fledged subjective participant in what's already happened. Faith makes what Jesus has done real and present to you. 
So Peter put it this way. He said, by his stripes you were healed. So it's sealed. Your healing is sealed. Your salvation is sealed. Your blessing is sealed. It's all in Christ. We need to see, need to see the supremacy of the person of Jesus Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him all the promises of God are yes and amen. All in Jesus. See, it's the faithfulness of Jesus that saves us. Galatians 2.20, I think it should be read like this. You know, we now live by the faith of the Son of God. See, every, every single obligation on the human being to, to be saved was fulfilled by Jesus. He even believed in God for you. If you can, if you can believe it or not, you got to believe. You got to say yes. You got to throw your burden down at the cross. You got to do that. I'm not saying you don't. You really do. But it's as easy as, yep. Yep. I believe that. Yes, please. It's really, really that easy. Jesus had faith for you. If you're struggling with faith today, there's something you're like, you know what? I just can't. I can't put that down. I don't have enough faith for that. I don't have a faith that God's going to come through. Think about the faith of Jesus. Because the faith of Jesus is the faith that's at work in you. So where did Jesus have faith? Well, think about this. Jesus is on the cross. He's taken in his own body. In his own body, he's taken the sins of the whole world. Past, present, future, he's taken it all. He's taken the curse, he's taken your sickness, he's taken your pain, he's experiencing it. It's affecting his body, clearly. It's affecting him emotionally, it's affecting his mind. Jesus is on the cross and he's in agony. He's experiencing sin to the extent that he, for a moment, he experiences the delusion that God had left him. See, God never did leave him, but that's what sin will do to you. It'll cause you to think that God left you, but he never has. He never, ever has. Jesus experiences all of this, all the impact of sin. And then just a couple moments later, he says, it is finished. He's, he's embraced in his own person the sins of humanity, the sins of all time. And he has enough faith in what he's done and who he is to be able to say just seconds later, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That's the faith of Jesus Christ. Jesus has real demonstrable faith, and you can lean in and experience that because that person of Jesus lives inside of you. So Paul prayed that you would be strengthened with might in the inner man by his spirit, and Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith. The faith of Jesus, it is finished, that resides in you. And you really can just lean on it and, and, and pull it. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to split hairs. I did say that you have to believe, you really do. It's his faith. But your faith is really to rest in a person. Not in a salvation formula, not in a faith or a blessing formula, or anything like that. That's why I think, this is why we can celebrate the fact that, that it is well, because here's what John says. I think it's there. He says this anyways in your Bible. In verse 4, he says, This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Now, who is it that overcomes the world? Who? Is it the person who's really, really good at Christianity? No. Is it the person who even has faith to overcome their obstacle? Trick question. No. The overcomer is the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Overcoming faith is faith in the Son of God. And if you have that faith, and that faith alone, according to verse 4, you have, past tense, overcome the world. See, there is actually a whole ordered system, the world, cosmos. There's a whole ordered system out there trying to distract you and, 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 and pull you away from faith in Jesus. 
And sometimes it's really, uh, it's really obvious. It's, it's, Jesus isn't real, right in your face. Other times, I'm going to be honest with you, it's really simple. It's subtle. It's something that can even manifest as an angel of light and tell you something like this. Here's the six ways to overcome and the seven steps to get the Holy Spirit. It can sound that easy. But it really is this, you've overcome and you receive by faith alone. That's it. That's it. So don't get distracted. Don't, don't get sidetracked by all this stuff. Just receive by faith. See, John said it this way. If you have the Son, you have life. If you have the Son, you have overcome. Because you have the Son. See, we don't believe in Jesus plus a blessing. Jesus plus healing, Jesus plus prosperity, Jesus plus strength, Jesus plus love, Jesus plus this, that, and the other thing. No, the blessing of God to you is that he's placed you in Christ, and he's put Christ in you. And the rock that is Christ, you want strength, here it is. The rock that Christ is, is inside of you. The rock of Christ is in you, the once struck rock, and out of that rock of Christ inside of you flows the rivers of living water. Those waters are teeming with life and everything you need for blessing. So Peter put it this way. He said, everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness comes to you through the knowledge of him. That's it. Real easy stuff. But it's funny how it can be hard sometimes. It can be hard to keep the simplicity. Really? So that's the thing. All the stuff that you feel that you need to overcome. Sin, addiction, demons, curses, hardships, persecutions, all that stuff that you, that you want to overcome. Here's the thing. This is the beauty about John and his simple statements. We did this in the second sermon of this series, First John, I think it's chapter 1, verse 5. He says, this is the message that we heard and proclaimed to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You're in Christ, you're in the light, and there is no darkness. See, all that stuff you want to overcome, that's actually in the realm of darkness. You've been translated out of that realm. You've been placed in the realm of the kingdom of the son of his love. It's really that easy. There is a one-step program. There really is. Trust me. I've tried all the different step programs for different things going on in my world, and it doesn't work like Jesus works. Jesus is the way. He is the way. That's not just a, Jesus will get you into heaven. He is literally the way, the method, the, the pathway that you need to take to get to where you want to go. Jesus really is the way. So it's about faith. It really is. Simple faith. And that's what John's all about. He wants to assure you. He wants you to have faith. Now, he wants you to have faith and he wants you to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He wants you to overcome. He wants you to be born of God. Jesus is the Christ. He wants you to to overcome. Jesus is the Son of God. Now, he gives us some handles, some really practical things that either help us to believe that in the first place or help us unpack it after we believe. And the reality is you you never really, in in Christianity, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you're never like, oh, I got that, Jesus. That's basic. You're always unfolded. There's something always being unfolded. You know, there's basics in the faith, yes, but there's dimensions and layers to the person of Jesus. And even the simplest statement, Jesus saves. Jesus loves you. You're going to spend eternity unpacking those three words. You really will. There's There's no end to the depth of this person, Jesus Christ. So he gives us some handles to help us either to come into the faith or when you're in the faith, to understand it. Now, 
there's a bunch of different uh, translations for, or, or interpretations, I'll put it this way, for spirit, water, blood. What does that mean? What's it all talking about? All that kind of stuff. So what you're going to get today is mine. Straight up. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to say, well, you say this, and you say this, and then you say this. Well, God, what do you say? Not that he's not speaking through those people either. But uh, So this, unashamedly, um, the handles, spirit, water, blood, that's in the Bible. How, what? Can you go to the next slide for a second? I just want to be absolutely clear. This is my interpretation. But I think the reference to spirit, water, blood... In, in, in the process of declaring that, hey, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus. He is the Christ. You can believe that he's the Christ. You can believe that he's the Son of God. I think John's going back to his roots. I think he's remembering something about his own, you know, tra traditions as a Jew. And I think that he's, uh, he, he, well, he writes about Jesus' baptism. So, I, I, and the disciples certainly would have known about it. So, I think he's going back. And I think that this is actually a reference to uh, the, the Levitical priests, so the Israelite priests, they had a process that they went to where you would take a person and say, okay, that's Joe over here. Now, Joe, after this process, is now publicly consecrated, ordained, anointed to be a priest. Now you can look at this guy and say, that's a priest. That's a representative of God. And I think that the baptism of Jesus, that kind of same thing happened. So we see different elements in the baptism of Jesus where, where Jesus was, frankly, this probably a, a really awesome but anonymous carpenter, right? And then he transitions into this public ministry. So there's elements of, of water, spirit, and blood. So I, I found a few things in Leviticus about this public ordination ceremony. And I can't believe I'm actually standing up here and going to talk about Leviticus, of all things. Leviticus. What a messed up book. For real. You need the lens of Jesus for that one. So... Like I said, the, the, the taking of, of a person. Now, in, in the Old Testament, it would have had to have been the Aaron, the sons of Aaron. And this is a ceremony where the very first priests were consecrated, but they took them. And uh, Moses commanded all the people to come and stand outside the tent of meeting. So they would, they get there. And then the, the lucky person who's about to be ordained and consecrated as a priest uh, would be stripped naked in front of everybody. And Moses would wash them down with water. Now, that's awkward. You don't want to see that at church, right? Good night. So Moses, he calls all the people and he says, this, he says to the assembly, this is what the Lord has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons forward and washed them with water. Interesting, water. Leviticus 8.10, then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it and so consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of the oil on the altar seven times. Verse 12, he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. So we've got the anointing oil, sometimes symbolic of the Holy Spirit, right? And then we've got the blood. Leviticus 8.22, he says, Then he presented the ram for the ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. Moses slaughtered the, the ram and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. So these poor people are getting consecrated. I mean, they're getting stripped down. They're getting washed in front of everything. They're getting blood smeared all over them. It's going to be a mess. Maybe that's a little foreshadowing of something. I don't know. But here we see in the, in the public ordination and the consecration of a priest, water, oil, and blood. And what I want to say is I think that the same thing is seen in the, in the public revealing of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry when he shows up on the scene and the voice from heaven says, this is my son. 
So I, I think that's what I think is going on here. I'm sticking to my story, and hopefully the rest makes sense from here. <laughs> but so we've got the spirit. The spirit symbolized in the, the anointing oil in that ceremony. So where's the spirit at the baptism of Jesus? Well, we see the spirit, says, descends like a dove. And John the Baptist was told, he's, the person who told him to go says this, he says, the one on whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, that is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. The one that you see the Spirit descending on and remaining, mark that one. That's the one. He's the anointed one. He's the one who actually is qualified to give the Spirit. The Spirit remains. Did you know the Spirit remains on Jesus? He never left. He didn't leave at the cross. And the Spirit testified to Jesus that day. The Spirit marked out Jesus and said, here he is. This is the Christ. And you know what? The Holy Spirit still does that today. See, there's a whole bunch of things the Holy Spirit's up to. And I might add, there's probably a whole bunch more that's attributed to him. But if you want to know for sure what he's doing, he's testifying to Jesus. Jesus said this, John 15, 26, But when the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Even the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings to the world about sin, about righteousness, and all that stuff, it's actually in regards and reference to the person of Jesus Christ. He says, of, of sin because they don't believe in me. In righteousness because I go to the Father. So, I mean, you want to talk to people about sin. You want to do the whole convicting thing. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit in that process, he's actually revealing Jesus and he's saying, this is what you can be. And he's bringing the contrast. He's not telling people, hey, this is how awful you are. This is how bad you are. You better realize that in order to get in. He's saying, hey, there's your glorious destiny. Look at the person of Jesus Christ. And it's really easy. Just say yes. It's really that good. So really, I mean, you want to know what the Holy Spirit's saying. What's, what's the Holy Spirit saying to the church? And there are particular things that he says at different times. We've heard that today. We've benefited from that today. But I can tell you, his chief job description, and the more you get to know him, his full-blown passion really is to reveal the Son of God. He really is serious about this. And that's, that's the whole point of his ministry in you. It's to bring to fruition, to bring to fullness, not, not the presence of Jesus, but the full expression of what's already inside of you. So the world can see that God. See, Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. He says that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowing of him, that you might know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. Not like, should I be a vet? Should I go do this? That's important. Questions to ask Jesus. Ask Jesus those questions. He's going to lead you to it. But there is a calling that the Son of God purposely embraced. It pleased the Father, the Bible said, it pleased the Father that in him should dwell the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And Jesus took upon himself that, that job, that mission. He said in John 17, I've declared your name. Jesus took the mission to be the one who would make known the glory of God. He would in bodily form express the fullness of the Godhead. Now, the amazing thing about this, the absolutely ridiculous thing about this is that he's actually, he wants to do this with somebody. And he's chosen us, he's chosen you and me as co-equal partners, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, co-equal partners to express and to fulfill that calling and to make known the knowledge of the glory of God and to fill the earth with it. That's fantastic. You've been brought into that calling. That is your calling. Make known the glory of God at work. Make known the glory of God at home. And he's given you the Holy Spirit to do it. He has. That's something awesome to wake up to every morning. 
that'll defeat and totally blow away the, the, the tedious, uh, the monotony, the tedium out of your life. You've been called with Jesus to put God on display everywhere you go. And if you read Ephesians chapter 1, you'll see that he actually intends to bring transformation to the whole creation in heaven and earth. Bring it all together in Christ. And he wants to do that through you. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Now the water. The water's present at this washing down the priest thing. And clearly the water's present at the baptism of Jesus too. He got dunked. And I'm sticking with my story. This is about the baptism of Jesus. Now clearly the baptism of Jesus, it, it, the baptism of John was about a baptism of repentance. Jesus didn't need to repent. Right? He didn't do anything wrong. He never did. He didn't need to be washed like the priests did. So I don't think that's what's going on. But, and I think John kind of says to him, you know what, you, you don't need this. Jesus, you don't need to be you know, baptized. You don't need to get washed. You don't need to, to, be, uh, to be cleaned. And you don't need to repent. Uh, let's not do this. In fact, you baptize me. And Jesus says, no. Permit it to be so, for it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, Jesus, he's already righteous. Remember that. He's not trying to do something or not do something uh, to, to get righteousness. He is perfect righteousness. But what I think he's saying here is this. I think he's saying, hey, John, you know what? I'm about to publicly go for it. I'm about to, to declare, here I am. The Father's brought me here. And what we need to do now, what, what we need to be done is, is what's required and expected of all those consecrated to God's service, the priesthood. And so in submitting to this baptism, what Jesus is doing, is whether you believe the law to be like an accommodation from God or, or written by God himself, Jesus is saying here, I'm coming as the predicted one. I'm coming as the consecrated and anointed one. All the things that the book of Leviticus writes about, all the ways that the priesthood types and shadows and foretells a coming one, I'm that guy. By submitting to this process, he says, here I am. And it's public. Leviticus 8.3, the whole thing was done in front of everybody. And the awesome thing about Jesus' baptism is it was also done in public. It was a place of meeting, like the tent of meeting. The father spoke, remember? He spoke. He said, this is my beloved son, indicating that from now on, those consecrated, anointed to public service, which is everybody, by the way, everybody, indicating that now everything that everybody does as a representative of God is done by the sons and the daughters of God and not some sort of elect priesthood. He's indicating in this moment that, that what once was is now gone. This is the, this is the, the, the pathway, the calling, the, the, the propulsion into, into public ministry and service that everybody has. It's to know that you're a son. It's to know that you're a daughter. And it's to serve God out of uh, the recognition of his affirmation and blessing on your life. That's all happening with the water. Or I think it is. The blood. Now, you might say, there's no blood. There's no blood at the baptism of Jesus. Maybe we should have read that story for anybody who doesn't know that, but uh, the blood. I would propose to you that prophetically, mystically, spiritually, in some way, the blood was there. When John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the, of the world. See, the blood speaks. The blood testifies. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. And his sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood says something. It speaks. It shows us some stuff. Now, that's not to say it doesn't do stuff either, because it does. The blood of Jesus does some stuff. 
Now, if you think about it, like blood, what does it do in your body? It, it takes the oxygen. It takes, I, I know nothing about biology. I'm just, I'm just trying to wing it here. But it, it ta- it's really important stuff, right? It takes stuff around your body. But here's the thing about the power in the blood of Jesus, equally vital to your spiritual life. The blood of Jesus once shed upon the body that took all the sins. It actually annihilated that sin. And that's one of the things that the blood says. It says that the life of God is forever capable and more powerful than evil and good. Good overcomes evil. Life overcomes death. That's one of the messages in the shed blood of Jesus. So the blood, it does something. It really does. But it says some stuff as well. It says this. It's finished. The blood says it's finished forever. See, that blood was shed in the earth. It was shed. It really was by 2,000 years ago. The blood of God came pouring out of a body, a human body. And it said it's finished. It says sacrifices are over. This whole process that you guys got going on about, about trying to atone for your sins, that's done. This God has provided his own lamb. It's over. The blood says religious works are obsolete. Amen. Throw out your 16 steps and embrace the blood. That's what that's saying. The blood of Jesus shows us the depths of our sin. Time and time again in the book of Acts, the Bible says that we, you, crucified him. He was crucified at the hands of sinful men. God didn't kill Jesus. We did. And I can say we because it's actually sinful nature. You know, we can't look back and look at those people and say, ha You know, that, that's what the, the anti-Semitism in the, in the mid, Middle Ages was all about. These guys were Jesus killers, Christ killers. That's wrong. That's evil. And it misses the point. The reality is, is that the sin in human nature, Adam, would always rise up against the true, pure man, the heavenly man. So it shows us the depths of our sin. It shows us what human beings had sunk into, that we were actually willing and able to kill our loving creator. You can't get any more deprived than that. You really can't. And we all had a share in that because we all share the nature of Adam. It shows us the depths of our sin, but it also shows us the depths of God's love for us. It really does. That the loving creator would be willing to allow us to kill him for our sake and for our benefit. That's ridiculous. That's some good news. That's really, really good. And it reveals that, see, Jesus came. He came to reveal the Father. Now think, think next time you're, you're tempted to think about yourself as a failure, think about this. Jesus came, not a failure, not saying he's a failure. Don't hear that. But Jesus came, and he came to set the record straight about God. He came to say, this is who God really is. This is what God's really like. And what, what happened with his testimony? They killed him. The very ones that he was meant to set the record straight killed him. Now, in that moment, he probably could have been really tempted to be like, oh, stink. And they didn't get it. Right? No, something else is going on. Something else in the giving of himself and in the giving of his life, there was a greater revelation, the deepest, most profound revelation of the love of God. So, I don't know, you got something going on in your world. Something's bothering you and you're like, I can't take it, I can't go any farther, this is a failure, this isn't working, this, uh, you know, just love. Seriously, just lean into love and know that whatever, whatever nastiness is going on, it's going to work itself out. Paul said it like this. He said, it works for you an eternal weight of glory. Jesus in that moment would have been like, man, you know, in, in, in the moment, I'm sure he must have been tempted to be like, they just didn't get me. What the heck? They're killing me. 
They don't understand me. Who's been misunderstood? That hurts, right? And, and, and the pain of misunderstanding, that can happen the most when it comes from the people that are closest to you, right? All Jesus' disciples took off. John found his way back, but everybody left. Just lean into love. Jesus has been there. He's done that. He's been tempted in every way that you have. So you really can. You can trust him to let that work out. See, the blood, it also shows us that Jesus is the Christ. See, only an act so unselfish as, as Jesus, only an act that could reveal the sac- self-sacrificial love of God to this extent, only the shedding of his own blood could speak a, loud, a word loud enough and clear enough to get us to see that it's not actually God who's demanding your death. He's the one supplying you his life. Only the cry of the blood of God could speak a word so penetrating and so powerful to set the record straight and liberate you from the word of performance ingrained in you by the knowledge of good and evil. Only the blood speaks loud enough to drown out a guilty conscience. And only the blood of Jesus works. Only the blood of Jesus works. See, he says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, there's the Holy Spirit, there at the cross. Cleanse your conscience from dead works. Only the blood of Jesus is strong enough to cleanse the guilt out of your conscience. Only the blood of Jesus has the power to destroy sin, not just cover it up and not just give it a new name, but utterly destroy it. Only the blood. So the spirit, the water, the blood, these three things testify. This is, these are like God's signposts. They're God's handles saying, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. And John says, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they've not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is his testimony. God has given us eternal life. He has given you life. You do have life. That's God speaking. Remember, God's greater than your heart. If your heart condemns you, hear the testimony of God. He's given you eternal life, and this life is in his son. That's it. Full stop. Done. Nothing else, nothing more. Everything you need for life and godliness, everything you need is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Unpack him. See, sometimes there's a tendency. We can look outward and say, God, just do this for me. Show me this. Do this over here. Give me that thing that I'm lacking. And God's saying, hey, you're complete in Christ. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said this, he said, it doesn't come with signs to be observed. Now, there are signs. There certainly are. Healing is a sign, right? Sometimes God does signs. I pray for those every day. I I really believe that if I'm to be conformed to the nature of the heavenly man, 1 Corinthians 15, that I will manifest and demonstrate and function in life as a heavenly man. I'll see stuff. I'll hear stuff. I'll do stuff that only Jesus could do, right? So signs, wonders, you need those. We want those. We really do. But you got to know it comes from within. Jesus Christ lives inside of you. That's your source of strength. You're not destitute. You're not like, God, please just give me something. He's like, please let me out. He's in there. He really is. So here's the thing. God has a testimony. It's all about his son. It is. You want to know what God's speaking? You want to know what's going on at the throne? It's worship the lamb. There's There's a word that is Jesus, straight up, the Son of God. He is your answer. Jesus is what the Holy Spirit is all about, and he's passionate about him. 
He's given us some handles. He's made it really simple. And we heard this today. Time to get the job done. Because you also have become, sounds kind of odd, but a handle, a grip, a a sign, a, a sacrament in the real definition of the word. You, have, you yourself now testify to Jesus. We got the spirit, the water, and the blood, and you've got you. You are God's testimony also. See, Paul said that you're now living, living epistles. He's written the word in your heart. Now you are a living epistle. Jesus says this, John 15, 26. He says, when the helper comes, we looked at this, whom I'll give, send from the Father, the spirit of truth, he will testify of me. That's what he's doing. That's what the Holy Spirit's always been about, testifying of Jesus. Very next words, and you also shall bear witness. You also will bear witness. So let God's testimony be your testimony. Let's tell people about Jesus, and let's lead people to Jesus. It's really easy. It's, it's, give me your hand. I'm going to put your hand in the hand of Jesus. It's really not easy. In fact, the Bible makes it even simpler than everything I've just said. It goes like this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Straight up, that easy. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Easy. All right, let's stand up together, guys. So we have a great big God who's powerful and mighty. He loves you like crazy, and he wants to bring you into the fullness of what he's always planned for you. And it's really, really easy. It really is. It's easy to know him. But guess what? It's also easy to live that life that he gave you because it's all by faith in the Son of God who loved you and who gave himself for you. It's now no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. That's the whole point of this. It's, it's the mystery kept hidden. It's learning to live by the life of an already present other inside of you that easy. Now, if you're here today and you you don't know Jesus, maybe you've never accepted him. You've never said, Jesus is Lord. I've said it's really easy. Maybe you've not taken that very, very easy step and you want to today and you want to receive Jesus. You want to be born of God. You want to be an overcomer. You want to have all the stuff that we're talking about here today. If that's you, I'm just going to count to three. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and then we're all going to pray something together. All right. So if ever have everybody just close your eyes, bow your heads. If that's you here today and you're like, I want that Jesus, just put up your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Bless you. Put your hands up nice and high just for a second. Now we're all going to say this together. Ready? Everybody pray, please. Heads, heads bowed, eyes closed. Jesus, I believe in you. Come live in my heart. Help me to know that you love me in your name. Amen. That's it. Something miraculous has taken place in your heart. Now somebody's going to come and tap you on the shoulder and just help you to, like I said, unpack what that means for you. Because it's glorious. It's beautiful. And you've got a great, great, great life ahead of you. You really do. You really do. Everybody else, hey, guess what? Paul said this, Romans 8, 16. He says, the spirit that testifies, that same spirit, he testifies with your spirit that you are a child of God. Now, that's not just a little pat on the back that says, yep, you're going to make it to heaven. It's all good. You're going to get to heaven. It's good. That's not what that's all about. That's the Holy Spirit unpacking inside of you what it means to be a son and a daughter of God. That's the way into an absolutely ridiculous life. 
You are a child of God. So if I could have the altar ministry people come forward, please, the elders. There's going to be an opportunity here today if you need prayer. Now, I'm a big, big, big believer, and it happens here all the time. The altar is a great place to be. And when Jesus is preached, it's accompanied with signs, wonders, miracles, and good things. So if you have something tonight, come come with expectation this morning. Come and believe God's going to touch your world, because I do. I really do. All right, I'm going to pray for you all, and then we're going to have a great Sunday. Ready? Father God, we thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving us him. You gave us your son. You loved us so much that you gave your only begotten son. Thank you, Lord. We pray, Holy Spirit, unpack the reality of Jesus Christ and him crucified in us. Reveal Jesus Christ to us. Testify to our hearts that we are your children of God and help us to manifest that and partner with you to make the glory of God known throughout this whole city. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, and I bless you all in his mighty name. Amen.